Hi, I'm Amber, and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today, we have a special guest with us, Kelly Truth, and she is a primal health coach, and she also deals in functional medicine. Welcome, Kelly. Hi. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I am wonderful. So before we get into the subject of what we're going to discuss, let's hear a little bit about your background. Oh, and by the way, the subject is going to be what happens when diet isn't enough. Yeah. Okay. So take it away, Kelly. Tell us a little bit about your background. What were some health issues that you've gone through? Well, first we can say that I have the background in the medical field. So um, I see a lot of diseases, chronic diseases every day. Um, about when I was 26, I had metabolic disease and um, I'd worked for a doctor at the time who was good enough to search for it. Um, that doesn't happen every day. So he ran a really in-depth panel off the simple fact that I told him I couldn't lose weight and I was mad. Um, because I would eat like 1200 calories a day. I'd work out like five days a week. I'd eat, you know, whole grains and everything they tell you to eat. And I was just frustrated. So he ran this whole in-depth panel, found out that I was hyperinsulinic, that I had polycystic ovaries, um, that basically my whole body was inflamed. So he kind of cut to the chase and he's like, you can either go on metformin or you can cut the carbs. And I was like, oh, well, I'm like 26. So I don't really want to be on metformin. So I cut the carbs and I turned all of that around within three months. Um, so for me, it just inspired. I wanted to look everything up about why this worked. There was very few of us doing this back in 2012. And so, um, very limited resources. Um, but I, at that point kind of went from like a dirty keto, as many people are doing now to more of a clean keto based after learning that, you know, the oils were so toxic and probably a good source of inflammation as well. Um, and then that's when I enrolled to be a primal health coach so that I could help others. Because like I said, every day I'm seeing sick patients in ultrasound, um, every day, the doctors are kind of just giving them the same runaround. Um, so that's how it all began. <laughs> oh, wow. The, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually really impressed that back then there was a doctor who actually advocated for cutting carbs. Uh, I mean, that's like unheard of really. Well, he was an endocrinologist and he is one that thinks outside of the box. So I, I'm forever thankful for that man because I don't think anyone else would have given me that advice. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can pretty much guarantee they wouldn't have, especially not then. More and more doctors now are kind of coming on board, which is really giving me some hope. But boy, I sure heard some horror stories from endocrinologists and, you know, the, the whole medical field from dietitians to general practitioners. And for instance, like with diabetes, oh, well, you can still have, you know, your 75 carbs per mil and then you get however much for snacks. And I'm like, for a diabetic, are you crazy? Oh yeah, there's so much, you know, wonderful advice. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of that. Okay, well, let's, let's get to talking a little bit about what happens when food is not enough. So the first thing I wanna ask is, um, one thing that I, I, I think is kind of interesting is the pressure of having to live your life like in the spotlight where you're a coach. So people look to you to be a certain way. And like, if you gain a little weight, hello, I'm in that boat right now, menopause, yay. Um, and you, you feel like you need to portray a certain 
health and look because you're giving people advice. Talk a little bit about that before we really dig into that. Cause I know yeah. you, you kind of struggle with some things. Yeah, that really hit hard. Um, I had gotten to a place where I was really self-conscious. My face was like breaking out into these weird hive things. I felt like I was gaining weight and here I am telling everybody that I'm eating the optimal diet and they're just like, oh, okay, you know, what's wrong? And I'm, you know, I'm like, well, I, I'm not really sure, you know, and actually, you know, I, I questioned myself enough that I changed kind of how I was eating. I actually went really heavy vegetable base. Um, I was living with somebody who was vegan. And so I was like, you know, what? I'm just not eating enough veggies. That's gotta be what it is. Right. So I ate all the veggies. Um, <laughs> and it actually was really amazing that, um, I had some blood work done at this time, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And it was with the same doctor that I had seen years ago. And he looked at me and he goes, Kel, he's like, uh, he goes, you're a hyper absorber of cholesterol. And I was like, what? No, I'm not. And he goes, yes, you are. He's like, you have plant sterols that are elevated and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, you need to go on a statin. And I was, cause we only really absorb about what 20% of what we eat. The rest is manufactured in the liver and like something like a bad tooth can send your cholesterol through the roof. I'm like, there is just something wrong. Like I'm not. So the same doctor that gave me really, really good advice, um, gave me not so good advice the second time around, but, um, mm. given my infatuation with this stuff, I did a lot of research and the same panel that he ran the second time was actually the same panel I had done the first time. So I reviewed my first one and I wasn't a hyper absorber then. So what the difference was, is my gut was leaky and it was letting these vegetable cholesterol statins into my blood where we actually just dispose of them through our stool. We don't, we're not supposed to absorb plant cholesterols at all. So what I ended up figuring out is that plants were not helping me. They were adding to the inflammation. Were they the main problem? No. Um, that was, you know, further down the road, but they definitely weren't helping. So at that point I switched my route again. Um, I really, it progressed to me getting entirely sick. I probably struggled for about two years, three years before I asked for help. I mean, my face was still rashing. I was starting to deal with bloating and constipation. Um, I just really was starting to get to the point that I was miserable. Like um, hospital technicians do not go to the ER unless we are dying. And I went like three times. Like I took so much magnesium. I should have skyrocketed to the moon and I hadn't gone in like two weeks. And I was like, I'm really concerned. And they're like, there's nothing we can find. Just have some like fiber. And I'm like, no, I don't need fiber. <laughs> you know? So I was just really agitated and getting nowhere and struggling with depression. There was a point that I hit depression really hard to the point, like I didn't want to leave my room. I didn't want to do anything. And so finally someone said, Cal, like sometimes even coaches need coaches like you're sick this reason for our, a different reason than the first time you got sick so what you're doing might not work and so I reached out for functional medicine um, because obviously I was getting nowhere with the regular doctors uh, they ran blood work that really didn't pertain to me they did a colonoscopy that really found nothing um, you know I was convinced that something was going on with my small bowel and they order a colonoscopy makes perfect sense. Um, cause I was like, I'm not absorbing any nutrients. Like I just, you know, like I knew that I had all these symptoms and I could identify the symptoms really, really well, but I couldn't understand why all these symptoms were happening. So when I went carnivore, a lot of them regressed. I mean, I felt pretty functional, you know, I felt like I could get my, through my day. I mean, I was still very fatigued, but like for me, that had been an improvement, but that's why I always want to preach this message about digging deeper is because even though I felt better, 
I knew that that wasn't my normal from having previously felt so good. So I'm like, there's still another level that I should be feeling that I'm not. So like, I can't just ignore it and going through the functional medicine, even then navigating that it's not always a straight answer either. Um, you know, we ran multiple tests. We did a stool test and a, a stool test is only one sample in time. Um, and so it can miss pathogens. And so maybe we get lucky and we find them and maybe we get unlucky and we don't. Um, I was high in clostridium markers, which is in the C. diff family, um, but it didn't show up for the C. diff. And so we were still gonna treat the dysbiosis because we still realized we had bad clostridia and that I'd had very low good bacteria. Um, and I went on that route where I did three months of like plant antimicrobials, like oregano oil and, um, um, monolorison, you know, from like coconut oil. And I rotated them and just knew that I needed to like get my gut right. I also ended up having like an infection of blastocystitis hominis, which is a parasite. So that's another reason we went with the antimicrobials for three months. Um, even then my functional medicine practitioner had a very cookie cutter protocol. And when I looked at it, I researched my own infections and found other ways that I thought were more beneficial than just taking the same thing for three months on end. I'm like, I got to rotate these because if these infections can predict antibiotics, they're going to predict my plant antimicrobials too. Um, so I had to be very strategic in what I did, but at the end of three months, um, I worked on rebuilding my gut health and I was like, okay, well, I know now how to help my clients in a whole new way, having gone through what I did. And that's when I kind of enrolled in doing some functional medicine coaching um, so that I could help clients dig deeper as well. And when I enrolled in that, we get to do an oats test, which is an organic acids test. And when they ran mine, that's when the C. diff showed up and it never showed up on the colonoscopy, never showed up on the stool test, but it showed up on there. It was now within normal limits, but just barely, like it was on its way down. Um, so that is the crazy diagnosis that, you know, kind of rocked my world where I was like, okay, you know, um, this is my path now is to help people in this way too, to realize they can feel better still. Absolutely. Okay. So here, here's the thing. And, and I see this a lot too, is say somebody goes carnivore, right? And like you said, they're feeling better. Some things reversed, maybe uh, they're, they're humming along. But then all of a sudden they start bloating. Yeah. And they start having some kind of interesting situations going on with their body. And then they go, it's carnivore. I have to stop carnivore. I have to go back to sad. And I'm like, what? What sense does that make? Oh, my gosh. So explain how that can happen. Well, I mean, we have to understand that there are so many factors in our lifestyle other than food, like food is a major one. And that's always where I start with my clients. Um, but lifestyle is a big one too. We're stressed out very often. And I can say that, you know, if we're not getting enough sleep or we have a lot of stressors, we can get low stomach acid and not be breaking down meat. But meat is the easiest thing for our bodies to break down and absorb nutrients. So if you can't digest meat, you are not digesting anything else you consume either. And that's, that's what I love to say is that we are not just what we eat. We are what we can absorb. So even though I was eating the most optimal diet and being carnivore, I was still nutrient deficient. Like I was nutrient deficient in zinc 
how is a carnivore deficient in zinc? Because I wasn't able to absorb the nutrients because my gut was so inflamed. Um, so that's why I'm like, you know, how these people get in these situations, there's so many stealth infections. I mean, other than just C. diff too, people can have mold that they come in contact with. Um, and it can colonize in their body and make them sick. People can get Lyme's disease. People can get infections that they had since they were a kid that show up as an adult when stress is present. So like um, mono is a big one. I mean, you heard about kissing disease when we grew up. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times that virus lies dormant and can come back when we get older just by mm -hmm. optimal situation of like too much stress or, you know, some gut inflammation. And now all of a sudden it resurfaces. Um, sometimes, you know, like strep throat is another one. Like if you had chronic mm -hmm. strep throat as a kid that can come back and resurface as an adult. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes it's not exactly again, the food, if you're eating optimally, and that's why I'm, it's so important for me to tell people like we need to dig deeper. I totally agree with that. And, you know, when I first started on my journey or whatever, and I had such incredible results and, and most of my results happened on keto and they were huge results, something that I had spent 40 years trying to deal with, finally dealt with. So it was like, yee-haw. <laughs> but then uh, I, I went to carnivore and it, and it was all fine. I gained a little bit on carnivore in the beginning, but it wasn't anything too bad. And then all of a sudden my weight started going up, 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 up. And I started having some other like symptoms and I'm like, what in the heck is going on? And that's when I really realized that there is more to it, which I mean, I know obviously quality sleep is good and stress mm -hmm. is bad on your body. I mean, I knew that, but I didn't understand how important because to me, it was so much focus on the diet because it made such a huge difference for me. So I absolutely agree with that. So, okay, take me for instance, okay? If I was your client and I came to you and I said, okay, this is what happened. I was awesome on keto. I'd lost my weight. Everything was great. Went to carnivore and I started, you know, having some changes there. And, and most of it was positive. I, I gained a lot on carnivore too, positive wise. But, you know, like I said, most of the stuff I needed to fix, I fixed on keto anyway. But then all of a sudden, things changed. And I now know that my cortisol is way off the charts. I had it tested. So I know that. So what would you do with me? What, what would be your first thing? I would probably, you know, and evaluate your lifestyle. You know, I'm going to want to know how often you get outside, um, you know, how often you move and are active, you know, how often you are getting enough sleep, um, especially with cortisol being through the roof. And if that all looks on key, then that's when I'm going to be like, okay, is there an infection stressing you out? Because that will do it as well, especially mm -hmm. if they're chronic and they're ongoing, you know, it, it dysregulates that HPA access um, because my pituitary was super suppressed and that was because of the whole like hba access as well like the cortisol elevating and stuff like that and that's another thing too that i want to touch on is that we can still get to heart disease if we are eating an optimal diet if we do have these underlying infections that's why it's so important not to ignore them because they will mess with your insulin levels they will act as a stressor and stress kills um and there's multiple ways to skin that cat you know like you can stress yourself out with that infection and still end up with enough inflammation to have cellular dysfunction have the heart disease have chronic conditions so that's why it's so so important not to ignore these things 
How, how do you know if you have something like that? I mean, okay, let, let's say, okay, I, I, I'm, I, I have some bloating going on, which is kind of not something I had on carnivore, but now I have it and uh, maybe some other minor issues, but it's just a little bit different. Well, how would I know that there's an infection? Like, where would I even start? There's so much. I mean, there's mold, there's, you know, deodorant, there's makeup. I mean, there could be so many different things too that go into the situation, but how would I know if it's an actual infection or where to start with that? You really start with a uh, routine blood work that your regular doctor would run. So like your CBC with differential has all your different white blood cells and, you know, certain ones can trigger me to certain things like your eosinophils might, if they're elevated, might be indicative that you have a parasite or, you know, your neutrophils, if they're elevated, it might be a bacterial infection. So I can look at those and just kind of see, and if your white blood cells are really low, that means it's more of a chronic thing. And if it's elevated, it means it's more of a current thing. So it can kind of start directing me in which way we need to go. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So if somebody is, you know, all of a sudden having symptoms and they've changed nothing diet or lifestyle wise, that that might be something to start checking into, just go have some routine blood tests done to kind of rule out infections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And then let's say you don't have an infection. Now what? Ooh, um, I'm also going to probably want to look to see, you know, about probably experimenting with some digestion aid um, because mm -hmm. it's so common to have that low stomach acid. That's one that like mm -hmm. we might not be breaking down our food properly, especially with the bloating. That's the first thing that always goes off in my head. Um, H. pylori is another one of those stealth mm -hmm. infections that can kind of run under the radar. Um, you know, hopefully it'll show up that, you know, your bacterial counts high, but it always doesn't always. Um, and then, you know, if we're not, if we don't have enough stomach acid, we don't tell the pancreas to release, um, enough to digest our food, our enzymes. So that all goes downhill. So you got to have enough stomach acid. You have to have your pancreas to leave, release those digestive enzymes. You need your gallbladder functioning to break down your fat. So we need to figure out like what's not being broken down. Um, sometimes a stool test is beneficial because like, if, you know, if you are eating carbs, I can see if those aren't being digested and your pancreas isn't releasing the proper enzymes, or I can see fat isn't being digested and I can, you know, focus on the gallbladder. Um, so those are other things because, and two, you know, maybe you didn't change anything, but something in your gut shifted because of stress. So you might have dysbiosis and dysbiosis is, it's never fun. And though, like, because it's your gut and it connects with everything, it can actually start destroying your pancreatic tissue. So that could be another reason why you don't have enzymes is because maybe your pancreas has some scar tissue and it doesn't have the ability to produce them. So there's always, there's always something that we can dig into a little deeper. What about stuff like mold and other toxins? How much do you get into that? Because I've been hearing more and more about that. And I've been kind of gradually trying to replace things like I just got in some natural deodorant. Um, the, the face uh, care that I use is 
through fancy farms and it's basically tallow for the most part. And so I, I'm gradually kind of making changes. Then you have stuff like, you know, your estrogenics, you know, like with the plastic bottles and mm -hmm. all that touch a little bit on that. Like, how do you even begin to, obviously you just can't just replace everything right away. I mean, there's your cleaners there. You don't know if you have mold in your house who can afford to, you know, go have everything all tested and removed and all that kind of stuff and replace everything. So where would you start if everything else is fine? Let's say all the tests were fine. You know, you don't have C. diff. Your gut is fine. All that good stuff. But there's still something not quite right. But every test you've taken is fine. Mm -hmm. So now you have to start whittling. Like, where do you start? Yeah, I was going to say that everything testing fine is a hard one because usually we find something, <laughs> okay. um, especially like an organic acids is I think a great one um, because it's a urine test, but it touches on a lot of things. So mold will show up there mm. oh. um, because, you know, sometimes the mold is in our current situation either. I mean, we ate grains for a long time and, you know, most of us did. So there's a lot of mold in grains or coffee or coffee yeah. or like our yeah. favorite treats. Right. So, right. Um, so usually the oats test will touch on that. It'll touch on if there's a dysbiosis um, mm -hmm. and it'll touch on some nutrient deficiencies. And that's another one too, is to make sure that our cells actually have enough nutrients to do their job too. So like when we look at food, you might be eating optimal food, but are you getting enough diversity in the sense, are you getting some organ meats in there if you're carnivore? And I know that there's some people that say that you don't need it, but I, I don't see... I don't know. I can't see how you couldn't. I mean, just the nutrient profile and liver alone is just amazing. I just, unless our body has to make all that other stuff that we're not consuming, in which case I feel like we're giving it more work. And I like to give the body the least amount of work as possible. <laughs> you know, that's why I don't eat the, the vegetables. I don't want to convert my vitamin A. Sometimes people can't even do that. I'd rather just eat it in the liver, you know, or take the supplement that's desiccated, you know, <laughs> whatever I need to do. Um, but it is, yeah, about small habits. It's really about like, okay, well, you know, maybe asking them questions about their lifestyle, you know, that they wouldn't think about, you know, like what products are you using on your hair and stuff like that? Um, do you use a lot of makeup? Because us women, I don't know, there's like what, 20,000 chemicals that touch our skin sometimes before we leave the house, <laughs> you know? And so, or like, you know, their job environment too, like, what are they exposed to? Like working in hospitals, mm -hmm. sometimes these people touch these wipes and I'm like, you just don't touch that with your skin, <laughs> like, or they overuse the hand sanitizer, yes. your gut bacteria, like kills yes. it, you absorb it through your skin. Um, but like, I think that's the difference between like your traditional um, providers and somebody like me that does functional medicine. Like, I want to know about you. I want to know what your life is like, what your daily routine is like, like walk me through it because, you know, something will trigger in my head. That'll tell me where to dig deeper, you know, whereas, um, you know, like with mold, yeah, you're not going to necessarily see it. Um, there are some genes that make you more predisposed to having an issue with mold. Not everybody has an issue if they are exposed mm -hmm. to it. Um, I actually had an entire attic full of black mold. So um, I, oh. <laughs> I'm not sure that I ever reacted to it. It did not show up on my oats, but that was already like after three months of antimicrobial, like antimicrobial. So I might've cleared it, had it done. Um, but usually you can kind of tell if it's mold, if there's a chronic inflammatory response syndrome going on. Um, recently, my sister-in-law, she's been super inflamed and just a little bit of mold on a window 
has caused her to flare up. And she could tell the difference by like getting away from that room. And that would probably not bother like a child or my mother or anybody else. But because she was already so inflamed due to having other issues, it just really set her off. Um, but like, yeah, it could be in your coffee pot. It could be on your wall behind your toilet. That was another place I found it because they put my oh. toilet too close to the drywall and I found black mold and I'm like, Oh, like my house is 10 years old. I shouldn't have had any of these issues, mm. you know? Um, but we do see it more commonly in city dwellers who live in these big apartment buildings. Um, there's definitely been higher mold cases in those um, or in more damp areas, you know? Um, I live along the woods. So that's probably why my house was more susceptible to the mold as well. Yeah, you know, there, there's just so much that we're exposed to every day that it is so hard to try to deal with it all. You know, even even like, okay, perfume. I don't wear it very often, but when we go out on weekends, I will wear perfume, This is, mm-hmm. which is not great, but at least I don't use it every day. And like my makeup... <laughs> wearing my makeup. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm still in search of trying to find something that's wholesome that I like, because I'm pretty picky, you know, but uh, it's something I'm working towards, you know, trying to weed out some stuff. And I admit some of my waters and plastic bottles, I admit that I admit it. But most of the time I drink a, a sparkling water uh, that our HEB, our local store uh, sells. It's not Topo Chico because there's that big thing about Topo Chico now. I don't even know if that's, you know, that big of a deal. I don't know. But anyway, so yeah, just trying to whittle all that down is huge. It is. And I, I, I just, you know, there's so many pu- pieces to the puzzle and you know, to try to figure out all these little pieces. Oh my. Okay. I think that's why it's so funny when people say I've tried everything. I'm like, everything, and I love this stuff. So no, you have not tried everything, <laughs> but it's so hard because it could be something so minute to most people. Like you said, with, with the mold for most right. people, that little bit probably is no big deal, but to her, it was a huge deal. So, right. you know, you don't know it because you're thinking, oh, that's no big deal. Maybe it is for you. I will tell you though, that if mold is bothering you, like your whole body is miserable, like the chronic, um, inflammatory response, like you, you are, you are just so fatigued. And so like, I want to say body dead, (laughs) you know, like where you get home and fall on the couch and you're just like done. Um, you know, I had a lot of the similar symptoms. So when I did have the C. diff, I ended up with lupus and same thing, the chronic inflammatory response, even though it wasn't the mold, it was the C. diff causing mine. It's like, I got home and I was just done. Like, you know, my muscles were tired all the time. Um, you know, and then like a lot of, one of the weird things that happens too, when you have some of these ongoing issues is your sleep. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night around one or two and not be able to fall back asleep. And I like my sleep. So like, that was kind of a sign to me too, that like something else was going on underneath because like, if I can't sleep at night, my liver's trying to detox something and it is waking me up, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about C. diff. I personally don't know much about it. It's something I don't think I have or ever have. I'm assuming I would know, but maybe not. But could you go over what exactly is it and how did you deal with it? What symptoms did you have? Talk about that all. Okay. So C. diff is an infection that we get. Um, However, it's a bacteria that is present 
in everyone. So the problem is, is that an imbalance happens and it lets this bacteria take hold. So for me, um, I was able to trace mine back to a surgery I had where we were just fixing some varicose veins. Um, and I remember the incision kept swelling up. And I was like, you know, this ain't normal. Like I've had surgeries before. This will not go down. He's like, well, just take some antibiotics. Keep taking those antibiotics. And I'm like, well, okay, but I really don't like antibiotics. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, I kept taking them and the infection still wasn't going down. And when I told him that he just switched up the type of antibiotic. Meanwhile, I destroyed my gut health on antibiotics, right? So that gave the C. diff an opportunity to really take hold then. Mm. So now it's not localized in these incisions. Now it's running rampant through my body because my mm. lacto, um, bacillus or lactobacillus and bilfido were all low. Um, and it just, it overgrew to the point they couldn't take back hold. And that's when the symptoms really started to present. Now, because I ate so well, I made it four years before the symptoms really knocked me on my butt. Wow. <laughs> and I mean, like my sleep was disturbed. Um, my body was really, really sore. That's when my antibodies yeah. came back that I had, you know, the lupus, um, and dry eyes. I was constantly dehydrated. I ended up constipated. Most people, when they get C. diff, they think they get the runs. That's like the most talked about thing is you have C. diff and you'll have diarrhea. I don't recall ever having diarrhea, but I recall yeah. being backed up to the point, like my ileocecal valve was not working. It was getting stuck, um, stuck and it just was not oh. letting things pass through. Um, so, I mean, the symptoms vary from person to person, but really it's usually got a history of antibiotic use that really spurs it to get it going. Um, but like, you know, somebody else might have levels that were like, you know, around, I think 19 on the oats test and mine, even when they were just above like normal, you can have like up to 70, who knows where I was at when it was really, really, you know, taken hold. If that was three months after antimicrobials, you know, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, C. diff, it, a lot of times you can get it in hospitals. Uh, that's where it's mm -hmm. talked about most, you know, is C. diff and MRSA. They try to flag it because, you know, if it doesn't get taken care of properly, you know, you can infect somebody else. Um, oh. you know, and you got to think of like these nurses and stuff like changing, you know, um, patients, you know, pants and diapers mm -hmm. that can't use the bathroom and they're in contact with the stool you know, and it gets into a cut or a nick somehow or another, or a tool doesn't get cleaned. And, you know, the next patient, if they're susceptible enough can actually catch it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm a little more afraid of that than any virus, typical virus that, you know, mm -hmm. we're living with right now. I'm not really scared of that, but that's kind of scary. Kind of like that flesh eating bacteria that scares me. That's a little right. bit different to me, but yeah. So so even though you have a pretty good immune system, probably starting out, this C. diff can just really screw stuff up. It sounds like just. Yeah. Well, I mean, it gives the precursor to like destroy your gut and for the leaky gut to take hold, which we saw, you know, when I was running for the, you know, the statins and stuff like that, that I was obvious now I had leaky gut, whereas I didn't years ago and years ago I was on a sad diet, you know? Um, but it can just, um, I lost my train of thought there, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, it can just really, really take hold and just destroy everything. And when you have that leaky gut, there it is, it's back now, <laughs> um, that autoimmune can kick in because now mm. you have things that are getting into your bloodstream that don't belong. 
And when that happens, your immune system is constantly on alert and, you know, it's just attacking everything in its path. And a lot of cells look similar. So like sometimes your own organ tissues end up getting attacked and depending on what your DNA is, um, you know, like I'm more prone to lupus, but somebody else might have rheumatoid arthritis. Somebody else mm. might have, you know, other autoimmune conditions like Hashimoto's. So it really just depends. It turns on those genes, certain genes that you already have. Ooh, yes. that, that, that's, wow. That is so scary because you're, you're, you know, humming along and then something happens and then you're like, okay, like how would you even know to trace C. diff back to that little incision? I mean, how would you even think? Cause that was, you know, quite a bit of time between. Yeah, for me, just a bell went off in my head because I knew that C. diff and antibiotic use um, run hand in hand. And, and I remembered like after that, like, I mean, I, there was a couple of times I think I had abscesses, you know, that were in different areas that were flaring up and I had to go on antibiotics again. So it was a months of antibiotics, you know, off and on trying to fight all these different things. And so it just came back to me. I'm like, I bet you that that's when it was because I'm like, it wasn't normal that those incisions didn't heal. I was also in a very small community hospital that is kind of known for giving people infections. I just really didn't think that that would have happened with like a venous ablation. I figured that was pretty simple, (laughs) but yeah, yeah, that's how I kind of was able to trace it back for myself personally. That is is so crazy to me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you find out somebody does have C. diff, what do you do? Well, I want to get those levels lower first um, to give the good bacteria a chance to kind of take over. My dog is being very vocal. I apologize. She <laughs> apparently has something to say to add to this conversation. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I would want to start by getting those levels low and I want to kind of outsmart the bacteria because obviously we don't want to give it more antibiotics and yeah. give it more chance to take hold. And that's where plants come in where they're kind of more beneficial. Like they, um, they work in a different way where they don't really destroy your good bacteria. Um, but yet they kind of work against the bad bacteria. Um, so I rotate them. I try to, you know, surprise the virus with something new, you know, um, every week or every other week, just something to keep it on its toes. Um, I personally did a lot of coffee enemas. I thought that they helped mm. me a lot, especially because I needed to get that digestion moving again. I can't just kill all the C. diff and not get it out of the system. So that's an important thing when we're dealing with these infections is yes, we want to kill them, but we need to make sure they're moving out. So if you're constipated or your, you know, drainage pathways aren't open, I'm going to make somebody feel like death if I'm just killing everything and let it recirculate in the body. Um, And then after we get through that process where we feel like those levels are low enough, I just want to support the body to take back hold. So that comes in with like healing the gut, you know, I'm big on probiotics. I use three different types. Most people only know Mm -hmm. of like your keystone bacteria, which, you know, is your lacto and your bifido, and you can get it at the store down the road. But there are spore-based probiotics this day and age, and they're amazing. Megaspore is one that I go with commonly and it's been I've seen it more in functional medicine of late um and then I do espolardi which is a yeast just to try to get that balance back um you know and then I do IgG and IgA which is your immunoglobulins because that'll kind of help close those gut junctions and support your immune system as well because we know a lot of our immune system is related in that or related located in that IgG IgA 
So I have to heal in the gut, the mega spore too. There's actually been some really great studies on that spore based probiotic where it's, you know, brought down levels of C. diff. So that's my goal going down the road is let, you know, these spore based probiotics, let your body just kind of take it over, give it a break from everything we did for the three months prior. And hopefully we come full circle. There are some times it does rebound back and on those really chronic cases, because maybe it was ongoing, they've actually found that fecal transplants are the way to go to get these mm-hmm. people good bacteria. And so like, that's like our last resort. We want to hopefully not get to that point, but if need be, that might be the only thing that saves somebody with C. diff. It's pretty crucial. Um, there's some other people in the community, community of like Rebecca Farmer who had C. diff and you saw that poor girl, yeah. like she just had no muscle mass. Like my response was to gain weight and hers was just like to shrink down to nothing. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know? And so it really is a killer. I mean, people do die from C. diff if they don't get it under control. Um, but yeah, so like in that extreme, like, yeah, give me the transplant. <laughs> like just, I'll, oh. I'll do whatever it takes, but yeah, I actually had Rebecca on the podcast mm-hmm. and I believe she said she had like four fecal transplants. Oh my goodness. Mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a couple of people who have, who have had that. And before, you know, I, I just thought, Oh my God, that's so, you know, so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Who does that? But I don't know. I guess for some people it does actually help. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, there is something else. Oh, blastocystitis. What is that? You have that. Discuss that a little bit because I find that very interesting. Blastocystitis hominis. It's a very, very common parasite. Um, I believe that it was able to take hold in me because my system was down with the C. diff. Um, It's one of those parasites that we can get from our food. We can get it from water. We can get it from from anywhere, to be honest. Um, It's a gram positive bacteria. Um, Usually that's where the S. boulardii like probiotic comes in to kind of help to feed it. But that one can be a really common one with the bloating. Um, I've dealt with Mm -hmm. some other primal health coaches that have bloating and they ended up coming back with that one being positive. So it's more common than we think. Um, and it was interesting to see when, you know, we had similar symptoms with like the bloating and like, that's one too, that, uh, I believe that the rash that I was getting on my face was caused from as well. I was reading one of Chris Cresser's, um, articles on blastocystitis. And he was saying like, you know, that your face breaking out that bad is actually a sign of blastocystitis hominis. And I've seen Mm -hmm. a lot of carnivores too, where they're still waiting for their skin to clear up, you know, and they're still not digging deeper. And I just like, want to shake people but like I feel like in the community it's really hard to get out the message that like sometimes we do need to dig deeper and I feel for it like you know like I am an advocator for an animal-based diet like I am definitely carnivore do I occasionally eat a veggie every now and again because I want to not because I want the nutrients you know like sometimes I just want some brussels sprouts and bacon and you know like it just sounds good to me I don't go out of my way to seek it, but you know, um, when I want nutrients, I go for meat and I like, why does it have to be so taboo to be like, listen, guys, like carnivore does not cure everything. You know, it fixes a maraud of things, but is not the only factor into like chronic health issues. <laughs> Absolutely. And see that adds a whole nother layer because for me, it's like, okay, uh, be sure you're getting quality sleep. You definitely want to try to figure out some way to deal with stress, your mm-hmm. diet, and movement. 
okay, that makes total sense. Oh, oh my God. Now you have, you know, all these other toxins and these little bacteria and viruses that could be messing with you too. And oh boy, that, that's like a, a 5,000 piece puzzle, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it can be. It's so important just to, and that's why I'm like, yeah, take your beef liver and your organ meats and support your immune system with those like nutrients that we know like is beneficial, um, you know, and make sure you're getting like enough vitamin D, make sure you're taking probiotics. And because something too is like, people don't realize we're like, everyone says like we're bio individuals and, you know, we have different needs. Yes. And no, like we all came from kind mm -hmm. of the same area. Right. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, we're, we're not from the tropics. Usually we're all from like Europe and here. <laughs> um, but you know, a lot of it has to do with where we live too. So if you live in tropical areas, like if I lived in Hawaii, there's a lot more sunshine. I can probably handle eating some fruit and it won't have like the same insulin response, you know, a granite, again, it's not one of the foods we need, but like, that's where we don't look enough into our environment and what's around us and what we should be eating. Like, so when I'm animal based, I love to take a seasonal approach to it. I like to be like, okay, in the winter, I'm obviously not going to be able to handle the amount of carbohydrates. I'm not moving as much. I'm not getting as much sunshine. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm up North. That's why I was commenting on your South location there. Cause it's a little bit different. You get more sunshine than me. Um, but we need to take in, in, into account our environment, you know, and a lot of times mm. too, like you know, we don't realize how much natural sunlight helps with our digestion and like how we process carbohydrates and just how we process food in general. Like they found like there's a lower or a, yeah, a lower insulin response if we eat outside and how many of us, even if we live down South eat inside in like artificial light and light bulbs, like that's key, you know? Um, and then two, like another thing is like people that, you know, we've looked at people that have eaten like really high carbohydrate, carbohydrate diets and still been pretty healthy, but like they found certain gut bacteria in those people that helps them break down those carbohydrates slower. So they're able to extract more nutrients. So like you, hmm. I just get so tired of being everyone being like, oh, well, you know, this population eats all the rice they want and they're healthy. I'm like, well, but that population isn't us. Most of us are European. You know, most of us came over here and we have a lot of the same background. So I really like the seasonal approach where I'm like in the winter, I eat more meat. And in the summer, if I'm walking through the woods and there's some berries, I'm going to have some, you know, because that's what would have been available to our ancestors. Because the one thing I like to think about is like our ancestors did not have chronic disease. They did not have cancer. They did not have diabetes. They did not have auto immune, you know? And so I like to look at how much our environment has changed. You know, we live in man-made caves. We live in our houses. We're not outside nearly enough. We're not eating the food that would have been available to us certain times of the year. Um, another interesting one they found was like uh, in the fall, we actually had a change in our gut microbiome where we had more ability to break down things like wheat. Well, we would have eat in wheat in the fall, right? Because that's when it's harvested. So to me, it makes more sense. Like if we're going to try to eat some of these foods to just eat with when nature would provide them. Again, I still believe in like meat for all my nutrients, but if like you have like a client that wants to eat more of their fruits and veggies, teach them how to work with nature versus against it, because we are an animal. We are an animal that is really out of its environment. You know, we've lost our touch with nature. And I think that that's key in like rebuilding our health and like eliminated like the chronic health, you know, pandemic that we seem to be in. Like, to me, that's more the pandemic. Like, why do we have chronic health issues that nobody can heal when we have everything at our disposal? We have healthy food 
food available to us year around. We should not be dealing with these issues. So we got to go back to nature and like rebuild that relationship and how to work with it. I agree a hundred percent with that. Absolutely. Okay. Let's see. What is a stealth infection? I think they're the sneaky ones that people don't think about. You know, that's why I brought up mold. That's why I brought up Lyme's mm. disease, um, you know, C. diff, um, you know, Epstein-Barr or mono, mm. because, you know, these things we come in contact and like a lot of times our doctors are just like, they don't think to look there, um, you know, and they're stealthy because nobody bothers to look for them. And like you said, you know, you got so many possibilities. Where do you know how to start to look, you know? Um, and a doctor is not going to sit down with you and ask you questions about your life and what no. you've been exposed to. Have you ever lived in a water damaged building, you know, um, stuff like that. They, they don't think to do that. So I call them stealthy because they go under the radar. Like, you know, you might get your normal blood work back and nothing is flagged to a traditional doctor. But to me, I might look at it and be like, Oh, I don't like those level, like those levels. I just had a client yesterday. I'm like, your bacterial count is not abnormal yet but it's higher than it should be. And I said, I'm really mm. concerned that you have a bacterial infection again. And she's had a history of H. pylori infections. And I'm like, I think it's possibly back, you know, because you've been stressed. And I think, you know, like how many times does your doctor ask you about your stress levels? <laughs> um, so, you know, that's why they're stealthy is because nobody thinks they'll look there. Um, they just think all of our disease comes from our genes and we're just plagued with that and we have to live with it. And they don't think about our environment at all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's talk just a little bit more about um, stress and how that really does affect your body and can cause just all kinds of issues. Talk just a little bit about that, about how stress affects the internal part of your body. So stress can just be anything. I mean, you know, people like to just do like, oh, I'm just so stressed out about money and like mm -hmm. all my responsibilities, but stress can be a toxin. Stress can be chemicals that we're exposed to, um, you know, so stress can be a lot of things, but what it does when it gets into the body is, you know, it messes with our, you know, our vagus nerve and our parasympathetic response. And it puts our body into kind of like a hyperdrive. Um, and, you know, that's responsible for our digestion. So, you know, if we're stressed out and our vagus nerve is not going properly, like our digestion's affected, that same vagus nerve is also, you know, um, connected to our heart and it can cause our heart to respond differently um, and get ischemic. And we can have heart disease just from stress um, because you can have no plaque in your, your heart at all. And just the chronic stress over time can just mess with that balance and then cause heart disease. Um, I actually had that in the case with my father, you know, he was just like, well, there's gotta be plaque somewhere. And I'm like, there isn't, wow. <laughs> you're just, you gotta stop stressing yourself out so much. Um, wow. But yeah, it just really starts to affect all those parts of our lives. Um, it decreases our stomach acid and then we're not breaking down food. And then that's another way that our digestion can be affected just other than that nerve um, is that, you know, it has a cascade of effects upon our body. You know what I mean? Stress is inflammatory. So then we have like chronic inflammation going on. There's just so many different, I mean, 
responses. I'm not even sure I know them all, <laughs> you know, but there's a lot. Yeah. And okay. Let's kind of go back a little bit to the stomach acid thing, because I think there are a lot of us who have that issue and don't even understand that, that like somebody who has say acid reflux or indigestion, whatever you want to call it. And they think of it as too much acid, but we know better now that for the most part, it's because you don't have enough acid. For me, myself, I was on Nexium every day for eight years. Can you imagine what that did to my body? And mm -hmm. it, I went keto. And after about like, I don't know, six months or so into keto, I tried to wean myself off the Nexium. So I was like taking it every other day. And then once a week, you know, blah, blah, blah on down the line. And in turn, and I don't know if this is good or not anymore, because I've heard both sides, but I, I did a little bit of apple cider vinegar to try to kind of help with the acid. That's, it, it seemed to work. I don't know if it's a coincidence, but it worked. And I was able to wean myself off. But talk about some things that can cause your stomach. You, you kind of went over a little bit about that, but the acid to be lower and why you need your acid at a certain level. Because I think a lot of people don't really understand that. They're like, ooh, yeah. popping Rolaids and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, like you and I know that, but there's still a ton of people out there mm -hmm. that want to fight us on the, oh no, I've got too much stomach acid. It drives me <laughs> crazy. Yeah. I would have said that at one point, you know, as I'm like having the acid come up in my mouth every time I would lay back. So mm -hmm. I would, that's acid. I mean. Yeah. So stress definitely lowers, you know, um, the stomach acid and that can be our food environment, all those different stressors that we talked about. Um, it can be having underlying infections like H pylori and you know what I mean? Like you get stressed and that stomach acid lowers. Well, if that H pylori takes hold, your acid level does not want to come up. It does not want to come up um, because that H pylori wants your stomach acid to stay low so it can thrive. So that's a big one too. Um, and apple cider vinegar does help. I've heard a lot of people using that with great results. Uh, ginger is another one that you can kind of naturally take to bring your acid level up a little bit. Um, Cause see, I like plants for healing. I don't necessarily like to eat them though. I like like the extracts and the tonics, <laughs> you know, kind of that ancestral approach as well. Um, and, you know, you can test yourself too. Chris Cresser has a great protocol where you can get hit. Um, you can get thorns HCL with pepsin and you can start a day and take one with each meal. And then the next day take two. And then the next day take three. And then the next day take four. And you could probably go all the way up to six, I think is where we kind of max out. Now, if any time during that time, you start to get that heartburn feeling or that burning feeling, you realize you don't need any more and you back it mm -hmm. down one dose. And that would be the dose you would take for a while to help kind of just reboot everything. Cause sometimes our body just needs a reboot. You know what I mean? Like it just needs reset. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I like that for clients, you know, when they're like, oh no, my stomach gas, it's fine. I'm like, well, test yourself, <laughs> you know, figure it out and let me know where you max out at. Because again, if that's low, I'm going to be like, okay, well, why is your stress, you know, so high? Or do we have to look for some underlying infections? Why is your stomach acid low to begin with? Because it doesn't always write itself, you know? So, and obviously we know that if we don't break down our nutrients, we're not going to be able to absorb them. And we're going to have some health issues, or we're going to have some bloating because it's fermenting in our gut. And then it's going to start pushing that acid up and we don't want any of those things. Um, and you know, two people that have had low stomach acid for a very long time or have had H pylori, sometimes their walls of their stomach get really, really damaged. So, you know, sometimes like as much as I want to believe that mm -hmm. I can turn 
every disease around and make somebody 100%, we start damaging those cells too much. And we get to a point where it's too far. Some of it isn't reversible. There's just, you know, so, you know, I don't want to see somebody on pharmaceuticals for life, but sometimes we do have some prescriptions we need to be on just to maintain health because we didn't have that for, you know, 20, 30 years before we saw the light. (laughs) Oh, thank God I was able to, how scary of a thought, but yeah, I had an endoscopy or whatever you call it, you know, where they did exploratory down in here. And they said that all through down here and into my stomach, it looked like hamburger meat, just raw and inflamed and just, you know, almost swollen shut. And they, my doctor actually told me you will probably be on Nexium the rest of your life. Wow. Yeah. And that just kind of blew me away. And I just kind of accepted it because like, okay, a pill, but that was before I really understood what yeah, was going on. Drive me crazy. Sometimes I like, I like, I don't want to say not to listen to them, but if they tell you never don't listen to them, you know, because like, I've heard so many people be told they could never have kids and guess what? I'm scanning them a month later, or, you know, like sometimes it's not fair to say the things that they say, you know, or like, oh, well, you know, if you get rid of the root cause, maybe all that, you know, hamburger will heal, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) because we are amazing. Like our human body wants to keep us alive, you know, but when there's the threat, it's only worried about keeping us alive for that day. And, you know, sometimes that leads to consequences down the road, but if you can turn that around, your body will start doing what it's supposed to do. It will heal. I, and I think that is a, such a strong point too, because I spent so many years detesting my body because of the way it looked you know, Mm -hmm. not being able to keep the weight off and et cetera. And so I hated my body, but now that I understand why it did what it did Mm -hmm. and, you know, the amazing thing it does for us, that it is just trying to keep you alive that, that I, I just find the body an amazing, amazing biological machine, if you will, you know, I I just think it's amazing. And I do feel kind of bad for, for people who still, think like I used to think, right? Because like how can you hate your body when it loves yeah. you, keep you alive. Like we definitely yeah. need to give ourselves more love. For yeah. Sure. That, oh, and that's so important too, mm-hmm. when it comes to stress and you know, overall health period, not to mention mental health. Ooh, you know, mental health is huge. And that's a lot of what I deal with is the mental aspect of, you know, the diet and lifestyle. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's not the diet itself. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. Coaching emotional aspect. And that's what makes an amazing coach. Like I know that meet our is trying to do a great thing by pumping a lot of coaches out there, but like at the same time, like do these coaches really understand the emotional aspect behind why some of these clients eat the yeah. way they do? Because yeah. that's going to be what makes a difference between a good coach. Because, you know, these people can go out there and like research, you know, being carnivore <laughs> and learn right. it. You know what I mean? But what they really need is someone to sit with them and be like, well, you know, you made that decision, but don't hate yourself, you know, just make tomorrow better. Don't punish yourself or learn, move on. You made that choice. You know, what was going on in your head? How can you prepare for that in the future? Like, can you prep in some way so that it doesn't happen again is a major part of coaching. (laughs) Uh, It's a huge part. And I, I really wasn't expecting so much of that but Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I get. I mean, they want the support and the, you know, emotional mental part and food addiction for one, 
sugar addiction. You right. know, the number one question I get asked is, how do I break the, the addiction? I, I, I go for a while and then all of a sudden I, I just have this, you know, oopsie and I can't get back on track. That's like my number one, you know, that's a hard one too. And like, people don't realize how addictive sugar is. And it really is like, it's setting off chemical pathways where you want it again, but then you have certain gut bacteria that want fed. So like, yeah, you might do good for a while. Then all of a sudden you get that hangry feel. Like I just need some carbs. You might not be like in control of your own body. That might be some gut bacteria demanding that food too, you know? So like people are like, why don't I feel so good after so many weeks? You know, is it because my body needs carbs? It's like, no, you got something you need to take care of because there's something else running your, uh, your hunger signals there. (laughs) Ooh, I've heard that a lot too. Oh, I think I just need to add back in more carbs that's probably what got you where you're at. Anyway, I'm kind of thinking that's the last thing you need to do. Unless you're, you know, first starting, maybe you need to uh, take a slower approach. Okay. I'll give you that, but uh, adding more carbs. No, please. No. Yeah. One of the things I found was L-theanine. Um, it's one of the amino acids, but giving it to some of my clients that have sugar issues, it kind of like cuts off the brain signal and releases some positive, like endorphins that helps them fight that sugar craving. I heard it in a podcast once, um, used it on one of my clients and night and day definitely helped him a lot. Cool. Okay. Well, we are just about out of time, but I want you to give your best advice when it comes to digging deeper, when diet isn't enough, your best advice. My goodness. Um, the best advice is just to dig deeper, like to just not (laughs) ignore your symptoms, you know, just because you feel okay. Like if there's still symptoms, there's still work to be done. Um, you know, especially if diet and lifestyle are on point and you're just not feeling a hundred percent, if you don't feel like you could do a backflip, you know, or that you want to do a backflip, maybe you need to just, you know, reach out to somebody and look for something outside of the box because we are our own worst enemy when it comes to like ourselves and like seeing the big picture. So if you bring somebody else in, you might get a whole new perspective. Absolutely. Okay. So where can people find you? I have a group on Facebook. It's the real food rebel. Um, the real food rebel is also my handle on Instagram and eventually I'm going to try to start getting a YouTube up. It's there. I haven't built it up too big yet, but we're growing and I'm also so hard. Um, but I'm at the real as well. I have a webpage, okay. which might currently be under construction. I'm trying to do some growing to build some courses for clients. And so they can do some self-help and walk themselves through and just, just, do something a little different outside of the box. So, but yeah, growth is ridiculously hard. It's like, what do the it people so want? Hard. Like, what do they want? Cause I just, sometimes I feel like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know if it's that half the time. I think it's a platform, the logarithms and all that mess. I don't even know. Just when you think you figure it out, then they go and change things and you're like, Whoa, what just happened yeah. here? Ugh, right. It's very frustrating, but see what we go through. See what we go through. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll have all her stuff below. So don't worry. And Hey, while you're here, why don't you sub- subscribe to my channel and then go follow Kelly. I will put everything below. Well, Kelly, it's been a pleasure and thank you so much for joining us and helping us to see that we need to dig deeper sometimes. Yes. Thank you for so much for listening. To my story. <laughs> Absolutely.